you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We are back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This morning we will be looking at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16 through 24, the very last part of this chapter. We've been looking at this now for several weeks as Paul has been giving us a theology of giving. He has been encouraging us to generosity and to think about giving in the perspective of it being a grace from the Lord our God. And now this morning there's a bit of a shift in the focus. He is now going to move from the givers to those who will receive and distribute the gift. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord our God. We ask this morning that you would open up your word to us, that by the power of your spirit, it would become clear. It would take deep root in our hearts and it would change who we are, that we would be more and more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, as I've said this is now a change in focus for Paul in 2 Corinthians 8. He has been giving us principles about giving that are directed to the givers, to the Corinthians and to us. And now he moves on to those who are to receive and distribute these gifts. Now, to be clear, Paul has not shifted his audience. He is still teaching the Corinthians and you and me. But he's just giving us another aspect about generosity. 
He wants us to understand the qualities of those who are in charge of receiving gifts. And so now he gives us three principles this morning in our text for the managing of the giving of God's people. He tells us three things about those who are to manage giving. First, they are to be passionate. Second, they are to be prepared. And then third, they are to provide proof. Passionate, prepared, and proof. Let's begin then by looking at Titus, where Paul begins to describe the passion of those who are distributing the gifts of God's people. Now notice the very first thing that Paul mentions in verse 16. It's not how Titus is good with money. It's not that Titus has a passion for charity and charitable giving. No, instead where he begins is that Titus has a passion for the givers. Do you see that? But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Titus is passionate, but the place that Paul begins is with his desire and his passion for the people of God. He doesn't dwell on Titus's skills. He doesn't say he's the best man for the job to be done. He doesn't focus per se on the ministry as much as he focuses on those who are ministered to. Now this follows everything that's previously been written. Paul has told us that giving is an act of grace and that giving is a benefit to the giver perhaps even more than it is a benefit to the recipients. The Macedonians understood this. You remember that in verse 4, Paul tells us that they begged to be able to participate in the project of giving. They longed to be a part of it. Paul had also encouraged the Corinthians to excel in this grace, the grace of giving. We saw that in verse 7. And then we finally saw that Paul describes giving as a way in which we can imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways in which we can be like Jesus is to be generous even as Jesus is generous. And so Titus is marked as a man who has a passion for the Corinthians. And Paul describes that passion in the most personal way that he can. He says that Titus has the same earnest care. The same earnest care as what? Well, our translation provides it for us. The same earnest care that I have for you. Now, the words I have for you don't appear in the original Greek, but they make perfect sense here in our translation. Every commentator, every translation supplies this because there is an identity to the sameness and it's personal with Paul. Paul has told us over and over again, in the first seven chapters, how he loves and cares for the Corinthians. And now he can think of no better way to describe Titus's passion for them than to say it is the same as he has. Now, it would be easy for the Corinthians to understand then Titus's position. Paul had told them over and over again about his passion for them. And we should expect no less from Titus, because after all, Paul tells us that he is his partner in the ministry in verse 23. 
Now, do you see how Paul begins this whole section? How he describes the passion of Titus. He tells us that the passion is God-given. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Now, three times Paul uses this phrase, thanks be to God, exactly. And in each instance, Paul is describing a change that God has made in a person. For example, in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul thanks God that he has changed his children from being slaves to sin to instead being obedient children. It's something that God has brought about. No one else could have done it. And then in Romans chapter 7 and verse 25, Paul again makes it personal to himself. He gives thanks to God for himself, for how God has changed him from serving the law of sin to serving the living God. Paul says, thanks be to God, because he has made Titus the man that he is. He has given to him great care and passion for other believers. This is the work of God. Paul is thankful because God has given Titus this earnestness. The Greek is clear. God has given, that is a past tense, something God has already done. He has given to Titus in his heart. He has put it in his heart, this care. Titus didn't have to work himself up to the task. God had already prepared him for it. Have you ever had an instance in which someone asked you to do something for them or gave you a task or a job that you had to work yourself up to? You had to say something to yourself like, well, I guess I've got the time. And I really don't have a good excuse not to do it. And, you know, it would probably be a good thing for me to do. So I guess I'll undertake it. That's not what happens here with Titus. He's eager, he's ready, and he's eager and ready because God has done a work in him. Now, at the same time, Titus was not forced into this work. We see this in verse 17. Paul tells us that he was very earnest and that he went of his own accord. It is part of Titus's own heart to have a care and a concern for the Corinthians, for the ones who are giving. Now, how can this be? Which is it? Is it God or is it Titus? Well, the answer is both. You see, the Bible shows us over and over again two great principles which we must hold together. The first is that God can and does control the inward acts and feelings of believers. At the same time, he does this without interfering with their liberty or their responsibility. Titus's care was a result both of God's work and of Titus's own heart work because of the man that God had made him to be. Now, these truths are important for you. You are dependent on God for the spiritual life that is within you. God does not give you new life and then set you out on your own to figure things out. No. He gives you his grace. He gives you his presence so that you will grow in your spiritual life. But that life is your life. 
We are to own it. We are to exercise it. Pray that the Lord would give you such earnest care that it would be so evident that we would give thanks to God for it. Now, Titus had this spirit-produced passion. It was a passion for the Corinthians, but it was also a passion for the giving of God's people. And as a result, Titus was well prepared for the task of receiving the gifts of God's people. And he understood Paul's communication about giving. He didn't need to be convinced of the project. He didn't need to be persuaded that it was the right thing to do. We see this in verse 17. There are two evidences of Titus's earnest care for the Corinthians. He wanted them to participate in this giving project for their own benefit and blessing. And he is now ready to act upon the passion he has for the Corinthians and for the project of giving. And so Paul makes this clear in verse 17. For, he begins, I'm going to tell you the evidence. I told you about Titus's heart. Let me tell you how I know about Titus's heart. And he tells us two things. Not only this, but also that. He introduces the evidence of Titus. Let me show you Titus's care. The first thing that he says is that Titus has accepted our appeal. Now, there is real eagerness to this here that sometimes doesn't come across. When we think of accepted, we may think of just, well, we'll take it. I guess that's what comes our way. We'll accept it. There's nothing better on the horizon. But that's not really what this word means. This word has the connotation of welcoming something. Of, of being excited about something. Of wanting something to happen. Titus wanted to do this. Have you ever asked someone for a favor that you knew they would be more excited that you asked for it than you were in the asking? I know I've had opportunities to do that. I've sometimes asked men a favor to teach a Sunday school class. And I thought I would have to tie them down from jumping out of their shoes. You see, that's what Paul's doing here with Titus. But it's not only that. There's also something else. Paul tells us that Titus went of his own accord. He is going of his own accord. Titus wasn't just excited. He carried through on it. The way Paul puts it, you could almost imagine Titus is already on his way out the door, going to Corinth before Paul can completely explain the project or even attempt to convince him to go. This word, of his own accord, is a passionate word, an exciting word, an action word. The other place that we see it in the scriptures is in this chapter, where the Macedonians gave beyond their means of their own accord. They had to be restrained from giving. They were so excited and eager to give. Titus refuses to be left out of the project. He is so passionate about it. But passion for something is not enough. I could be passionate about drawing and not have the skill to draw. I can have a passion about cars and yet not be proven to handle the responsibility of a car. So there is a second principle about those who receive and dispense the giving of God's people. And that is that they must be ethical 
spiritual and confirmed men of God. They must be prepared for the task before them. Now, notice the emphasis that Paul has. It is, again, not on expertise as such. Have you thought about how it was very likely that Judas would have been good with finances and numbers? He surely understood the value of various things. You know, we see this when he points out the exact value of the ointment that is poured over our Lord Jesus Christ and says, this could have fed the poor many times over. But what he wasn't was spiritual, ethical, and confirmed to be so. We know this as a fact. Now, Paul is telling us, would it say, if Paul were commanding the Corinthians about giving and about its spiritual benefits, and instead he took everything they gave them and he spent it on himself. Isn't this actually one of the main problems for the cause of Christ today? Do any of you even remember what the televangelists taught outside of their calls for money? Did they have calls to faith? Great skepticism. There is a so-called minister jet. He had to have his own private jet so that, wait for it, he understood it personally. Because that's what his opponents accused him of. Without any warrant at all. Without any proof. Even though Paul had not taken any support personally from the church at Corinth, they still accused him. They said that Paul only started up collections because he was trying to get your money. He's trying to steal from you. No proof was ever offered, but it was just sufficient to raise the accusation. That's because people are very sensitive in this area of giving. Paul also understood this as a principle. It applies to more than his situation, more to the Corinthians. It applies to all of Christian giving. And so he gives this principle for us to apply in our lives and in our ministry. Paul puts it this way in verse 19. He says, As we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us, we do so for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. When we manage the gifts of God's people, we do so to show the glory of the Lord himself. Nothing about it should distract from what God is doing. People should see God in the midst of it. Not us, not our pocketbooks, not our ledgers, not our pleas. They should see the work of God. And as a result, Paul is, will not risk anything to cause a problem. Instead, what he wants to be shown is his goodwill, his earnestness, his eagerness, his above reproach. And the way that he does this is to be very scrupulous. Paul will not handle any of the funds on his own. Now stop and think about that. If there was ever a man whom you should believe when he said, trust me, would it not be a man who writes a quarter of the Bible? He's a man who follows the Lord. He's a man who doesn't seek his own way. But 
He won't handle these funds on his own at all. He won't even put them only with himself and with Titus on this mission. He instead will send at least two others. Now, why does he do this? Why does he put in all the effort? He gives us the answer in verses 20 and 21. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Now he begins by saying, we take this course. Now, the verb that he uses here is a very interesting verb. It's a verb that's used by sailors. It describes the trimming of a sail. You know that when a sail is given full rain, it becomes enlarged and a gust can come and take the ship very quickly. But if you're in a dangerous area, if there are rocks or reefs, if there's a coastline, you don't want to go full speed in a sailboat. So what you do is you trim the sail. You pull it back so that you don't go as fast. That's what Paul says here. He says, we're aware of the danger, so we trim back. We take efforts to avoid the danger. Because what we aim for is what is honorable in the Lord's sight. You see, the Lord our God sees everything. Everything that is involved with the giving and with this project and with the receiving and with the distributing, the Lord sees all of it. And so what Paul is saying here is we do this as those who are open before the Lord, who know that God sees all things and we want to be before the Lord and to be a blessing. But that's not enough. He also says we want to do what's honorable in the sight of man. Now, you may say to yourself, why does Paul care about that? As long as he's honest before the Lord and he's doing the right thing, what does it matter if someone else makes up a story about him? What does it matter if someone takes the wrong inference about what's going on? And Paul says, no, you have to wait a minute here because the gospel ministry is a public ministry. Others see it. Others judge us by what they see. And we want to do not only what we know is honorable internally before God, we want to do what is unreproachable, what is honorable in the sight of all. So that there is all glory given to God. So that there is no excuse to accuse the church or Jesus Christ of falsehood. So how does Paul bring this about? Who does he enlist to help him? Well, he enlists two brothers. Not brothers of each other, but brothers in the Christian sense, who are not named. Now, we could take some time this morning and speculate on who these brothers are. And let me tell you, the commentators love to do this. Is it Luke? Is it Barnabas? Is it Silas? Is it any one of a dozen named men in the book of Acts or somewhere else in the Corinthian correspondence? But the one thing we do know is that God doesn't think it's important that we know their names. Because if he did, he would have given us their names. What's important here is who they are. And that's what Paul tells us. The first brother is famous. Now, do you see what he's famous for? He is famous 
for his preaching of the gospel. Now, this is certainly true, but do not get the idea that he is some flowery orator who goes from town to town speaking in a way that enraptures congregations. Because what Paul actually says is, he, it is his praise in the gospel, which certainly includes preaching, but goes beyond that. There is a multiple sense that we can take this phrase. Now, this doesn't make our translation bad. One of the difficulties of being a translator is you have to actually write something in your translation. You can't say, well, you know, it's sort of like this. But on the other hand, it's sort of like that. Or maybe it could be like this. One of the great advantages of being a preacher is that you can bring out the full sense of this, of this translation. So this man is famous for his gospel work, for his love of the gospel, for his service in the gospel. In other words, he is spiritually mature. He is a gospel man. His defining characteristic is his spirituality. The second man, the brother who is to go, is earnest. And this is once again this word that Paul has been using over and over again in our passage and in this chapter, earnest. It's the same word in which he says that Titus has earnest care. And in verse 17 he says he is very earnest. It's the same family of words. Paul knows that two hands are not sufficient here. So he seeks to send a third person as well. And this brother is someone whom Paul knows well. He's a man who has been tested, tried, and found true. He's mature. Often, Paul tells us, the idea is over and over again, he has been proven to be sound and to be eager. There's that word earnest again in many things. And he has an earnest care for other believers. He seeks their own good. He does all he can to promote the glory of Christ and the well-being of his church. He is a spiritual, trustworthy, ethical man. That's who these two men are. They are entrusted with the distribution of this, these gifts because of their character. Because of their spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. But don't just take Paul's opinion for it. Paul draws our attention to this in verse 19, where he says, not only that, but also this, not only is our brother famous, but also he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. Now what this means is, this man has been appointed. The word here appointed means he's been voted on. Literally the word means to stretch out the hand. And so the idea here is the churches have come together and they've said, there is this generous gift, a gift that is a wealth for the people in Jerusalem. And Paul is sending Titus with it. Whom else shall we send? And it's as if in their congregational meeting, someone says, I vote we send Brother Famous. Who's with me? And everyone in the congregation says, Amen! Send Brother Famous. He's perfect for this job. And by the way, let's ask the other churches around us. Let's ask the church in Berea and the church in Thessalonica and the church in Philippi. Let's ask all the churches around, who would they send? And they all say, we vote for Brother Famous. 
We're on board with this. We're involved with this. We give our official stamp of approval. And so he's appointed by the churches. There's been a cooperative effort and a decision by the churches in this project. So often in the area of Christian giving, we go outside the church. We set up parachurch ministries. We set up independent financial entities. And for that reason now, there are a flurry of organizations to provide financial accountability to these organizations because the church does not. That's not what Paul says. Paul says the churches are heavily involved here. This is our third principle. Those who receive and dispense the gifts of God's people are to prove their integrity for the glory of Christ and promoting love. Paul summarizes this in verse 23. He says, who is Titus? Titus is my partner. He is my fellow worker. You know him. He's worked with you in the past. He's been to your benefit. Who are these brothers? They are the messengers of the churches. And he uses again a very interesting word. The word messenger is the word apostle. And it doesn't mean that they're one of the 12 apostles. It means that they have been formally sent out by the churches. The churches are accountable here. They've given their blessing and their commendation. And that is because nothing ruins giving more than a lack of integrity. When people suspect that you are using God's name in order to enrich yourself, all is lost. That is why Paul is going to such efforts. Do you think Paul is someone who couldn't be trusted? Don't you think that Paul's whole lifestyle screamed, I'm not taking anything? Of course it did. But Paul will not risk the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why we're so careful here at Christ Church. I never touch the offering. The elders do not count the offering. Your pastors and elders do not know what any family gives in the offering. That's because I want to be protected in my ministry from even an unconscious favor that might be shown to some because of money. We want to be completely above reproach. But there is a broader principle here that applies to everyone. What you do reflects on Jesus. When you claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, what you do reflects on Him. Do you live your life aware of that truth? Do you live to bring glory to Jesus and to make Him glorious before others? Or are you willing to sacrifice your witness for some temporary gain? Integrity is key for the Christian. Paul ends our passage today with verse 24, showing that integrity also promotes love. How do you show your integrity? Do you simply repeat over and over again how honest you are? Or do you repeat over and over again how loving you are? No. You show your integrity through your actions. You follow through on what you say. You show others that what you say is true. That's what Paul says in verse 24. He says, you can trust these men. You can trust this giving mission. 
I've gone to great lengths to show you the men who are receiving your gifts are passionate for you. They're passionate for giving. They are spiritual. They are ethical men. And the result of this is that you should be eager to participate in this project. Do you see how verse 24 begins? So, do you know what that word is? It's our old friend, therefore. And you know what you do with the therefore. You look back to see what the therefore is therefore. So Paul is concluding everything that he has just told us. And he says, the result of this is that you are to give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Do you see why integrity is so important in managing giving? It spurs the believer on to show his love for others. There's no excuse for holding back. Love abounds and is displayed when we act with integrity. Integrity and generosity is important. It is not only important so that the funds will be used wisely and properly. It's even more important because our integrity in these matters reflects on our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord who bought us for a price. Who surpassed all our notions of generosity by dying a death that we deserved on the cross. Jesus was generous with us. He asks nothing of us. There's no work we need to perform. There's no test we need to pass to receive the forgiveness of sins and the grace of God. His love comes to us by receiving it with an empty hand. By believing in Jesus alone, we are made right with God. And we are brought into his family. Jesus is a model of integrity for us. There was no ulterior motive in his sacrificial work. His only motive was love. Love for you, Christian. That you might be forgiven your sins. That you might dwell with the Lord our God forever. That you might be a child of God. Let's pray.